Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And we're the girls behind comments by celebs. And welcome back to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Anne. This episode was... Not only more intense than I remembered, but if we didn't have a podcast where we had to recap it, I probably would have not been able to get through it. I so don't want to talk about it. I can't even explain it to you. It was really painful to watch. I have to imagine that for any of you guys listening that also rewatched it with us, you had that same reaction because it wasn't just the moment where he put the $100 bill in the waiter's mouth. Like Obviously, that was the worst of the worst, but the entire lead up was almost equally as bad. You know what's also painful? The knowledge of watching that episode, knowing that it's not like that was rock bottom and it's all smooth sailing after this. Right, exactly. Honestly, the fact that they got together so many times after this is nothing short of miraculous. I know I've been a little bit on the edge about whether or not I would have liked them to have gotten back together, Travis aside. I have to tell you, after watching this episode, I am even more Team Travis than I've ever been in my life, I think. I am too. And it's, I, there's a part of me that feels like it's a little bit unfair because how are we judging Scott from behavior from so many years ago? But it's not about that. It's more so everything that Chris was describing. And I know we'll get into this when we go into the scenes of like what she wants for Courtney to me is what Travis embodies of just like pure security and not somebody that she at any point is going to have to look after from like a maternal sense. Right. I don't know how he recovered from this. And like, not even in terms of the family's eyes, in terms of public perception. He recovered beautifully, by the way. I I mean, I know we're both like case in point exhibits of that. We love Scott now, but I don't know how he managed to do it after this. Because I was watching this back and I was like, if this came out in the most recent season, especially with the way like cancel culture and the climate is, he would not be able to recover from this. There's no question about it. No, there's no way. And I also think on top of everything that it would have been incredibly feasible for him to decide that, you know what, this was the worst of the worst. And I think that I need to not be filmed, right? Like 
it would have been a very fair decision if he decided that he no longer wanted to be a part of the show. But the fact that he continued to be was actually the best thing he ever did because yes, we saw a lot of the bad, but by that same token, we saw a lot of the good. And so what ended up happening was it was just an oversaturation of good that outweighed the bad. It's that 90% that Courtney kept saying throughout this episode of like, he's great 90% of the time. Yeah. I mean, this episode, I know we've said this for the last few weeks, but out of probably anyone, this was really the one where it went from zero to a hundred in terms of he's the best guy in the world to he's the scum of the earth. Right. The one side thing I want to mention before we start, obviously on Monday, we spoke a lot about Travis and Courtney and him flying, but it was after we recorded where the photos came out and he was posting the wing of the plane and they were posting the photo of them, you know, him holding her in front of Kylie Air and just the photos of them with her short hair on the stairs. I feel like this whole experience of him flying has just catapulted them into an entire other category. Oh, totally. And I said that last week where I feel like him flying in this whole experience is the biggest indicator of where their relationship is out of everything we've seen. Because obviously, as as we've discussed, there's that insane sexual chemistry and they love being together and they're so good with each other's kids and We've seen so much of their relationship through that lens, but this is a step that's like, in my mind, like marriage comes after this. Julie, me too. I don't know if that sounds crazy, but that's how I felt. And I was on TikTok last night. It was literally 2 a.m. I couldn't sleep. And I was scrolling and there was a video of a girl and she was talking like with the green screen of the photo of them. And she's going on this deep thing about exactly what we were saying about how, you know, this is really next level. And this could mean that walking down the aisle could come next. And then she, at the end of the video is like, and why the fuck do I care? She's like, it's 1am. Why am I deep diving this? And I was like, that is me because the amount that I've thought about this off podcast is unbelievable. Do you think they'd invite Scott to the wedding? A thousand percent. You don't? I don't know anymore. Oh, 1 million percent. I do. I hope so. I actually am shocked. You just asked me that. Wow. You don't think- Sometimes I get a little upset about the Scott's position in the family still. It's so funny. I haven't thought about it in that way recently. I don't know why. Like, I just like, he feels like he's living a different life now. Just to, wait, I want to be really clear of what you're saying. Are you saying you think that we obviously know him and Courtney maybe aren't as close as they've been, but are you saying you think that he's also having a little bit of a separation from the family? I kind of both. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm just like... I wanted things to stay exactly the same once she started dating Travis. Like I wanted it to be like Scott was as present as ever. Their relationship was as good as ever. Obviously, like in the beginning, we were questioning whether or not he was having a strain from the rest of the family. I think we've seen via social media and like comments that that's not the case. Although it doesn't seem like he is seeing them, the rest of the family, as much as he maybe was prior. But my whole thing is that if they got married, would there be a discussion of like, A, does Scott need to be there? And B, is this too painful for Scott to be there? Well, that second one is a little bit more accurate of kind of like, we of course will extend the invite. However, he may opt out, which I, 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 I honest to God, I've thought about every possible scenario. I have not thought about this until you just said it. Oh, that's so interesting. Just because I feel like, I don't know. I mean, their family, the one thing we know is that they're in the most bizarre situations together. You know, the exes are friends with the current and it's like, it's all kind of 
a little bit convoluted. So it would have just been natural to me that of course he would be there. And I still do think that of course he would be invited, but there is something to be said for if he's not in a place where he feels capable of witnessing it, that he would not be there. Again, I don't know if that's the case. He could totally be there and be the first one you know, in aisle one, so happy to watch them and happy for Courtney. I don't know. But And again, this isn't really a fair or healthy way to look at it because obviously his happiness should exist regardless of whether or not he's with someone. However, I think we can all say that his relationship with Amelia is not comparable to Courtney and Travis's just in terms of the depth. No, of course not. Right. So it's not even like, you know, he can say, well, I'm so glad you found your person because I found mine. Obviously I can't speak for him. However, I would be floored if that was his actual mindset. No, I mean, I think that no, there's just no way. But I will say in terms of him being at the wedding, like the not being at Easter is a big step down from a wedding. You know what I mean? Like one night with the family celebrating Easter is a that he wasn't at is still a very, very different situation and a much more diluted event than a wedding. Yes, but you have to think about the timeline because that was – in the very beginning. And it was also kind of right at the height of post him trying to get them back together. Whereas not the time heals all wounds. I'm sure the pain is still very deep. However, it becomes less of a shock. It's less jarring, especially, listen, there is nobody that puts themselves out there more than Courtney and Travis. So at a certain point, I'm not going to say he's gotten numb to it, but it cannot be as shocking as it was in the beginning. The only thing is with the wedding specifically and I guess this is going back to the conversation about whether or not he would even want to be there. The thing with Courtney and Scott is even when they were together and at their absolute best, 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 she told him she never wanted to get married. Like it wasn't about him. She just, after her parents' divorce, had no interest in being married, period. Um, So for her and Travis to then get married, that hits on two levels where it's like, okay, not only did you not want to marry me, but you told me that it was something that you never wanted to do. And now you found somebody and you're doing it with them. Right. And that's a whole other kind of pain, which I think across the board, no matter who you are, cuts deep. But I guess to backtrack then, why are we assuming that marriage is the next step when she has been vocal in the past about not wanting it? Like, I feel like in our minds, we look at that as kind of the natural progression of this relationship based on the perceived intensity. However, she may be more than content to just be together, maybe live together and just not be married. And if he's okay with that, she may decide that that's what she wants as well. Well, because I do think that the saying she never wanted to get married had to do with Scott and not anything else. Like, I think that was her way of, of lessening the blow to Scott by continually saying no to him. It's kind of like how and a little bit different, but like the self-preservation of Chloe purposely not getting pregnant. With Lamar, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. I don't know. that. That's actually a, another conversation that I'm sh- sure is going through Courtney's mind. Because listen, there are some people that just have absolutely no interest in getting married. They love the person, they live with them forever, but marriage is just not something that excites them. And that's such a fair thing. I guess you're right. The real question to be asked is, was that actually your mindset deeply influenced by what happened with your parents or was it so wrapped into Scott, both in terms of protecting him and also to make yourself feel better about the situation? I don't know the answer. Only she does. Right. Also, by the way, everything we know about Travis is that 
I think, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but that he is somebody who, you know, appreciates the idea of marriage and theoretically would want that. So let's say Courtney is kind of just neutral to the idea. If he really wanted it, that would probably offset her neutrality. You know what'll be the biggest drama with the wedding? What? It won't be Scott. It'll be Mindy Weiss planning it. I was about to say that. People don't know. If you have not gone back and watched Meet the Barkers, you do not understand the tension that went on between Shanna, Travis, and Mindy. They hated her. That episode was, if they ever even saw each other at a party, I think it would still be uncomfortable because of the way that they spoke to each other when planning the wedding and the way that they both spoke about Mindy on the show. I cannot even imagine a scenario in which they get married and Mindy and Travis have to work together again. And I also can't imagine a scenario in which Courtney gets married and Mindy doesn't plan it. So I think that it has nothing to do with Scott at this point and them not getting married or nothing to do with each other. I just think they probably hit a point where they're like, we cannot get married because we don't know what to do about Mindy Weiss. <laughs> I, the only saving grace is that I have to imagine that Travis has been in her presence at this point. If I was Sharon Sachs, I would be calling that line every single day. I was about to say, this is like the best day of Sharon Sachs's life. If I was Sharon Sachs, you couldn't get rid of me. You'd, you'd be getting an edible arrangement from me every other day. I know. That is some shit. That's something that I want filmed. That is maybe the most layered joke there is. Yeah, you have to really be in deep with this shit. Do you know how many layers of Kardashian you have to know to understand why Sharon Sachs would be sending Courtney and Travis an edible arrangement to plan their wedding over Mindy Weiss? <laughs> no, I'm actually almost embarrassed that we understand it as deeply as we do. I know. But you know something? The best part about this is that they would be on our page. Like we told that to Chris, she'd find it hysterical. I think so too. You know who would crack up at that is Chloe. Chloe would love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Somebody please tell Chloe that I need to laugh about it with her. <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to mention or should we get into the episode? I'm stalling. You know I'm stalling, right? I, I, Julie, I texted you last night. I was like, I had to put it on mute and I had to watch with subtitles because I started getting so deeply uncomfortable. I got really nervous when I had 15 texts from you at four o'clock in the morning. I knew it was bad. Don't get me wrong. I have never gotten rid of the image of him putting that $100 bill in the waiter's mouth. Don't think that I forgot about that. It's just, I didn't remember the lead up being also as hard to watch as it was. Yeah. This motherfucker was out of control, to put it lightly. To put it lightly. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. We have it scene by scene, but we'll probably mix them together because it was definitely more entertaining to watch than it is to talk about, but we are here and we are going to talk about it, are we not? I guess so. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. So I don't know if you guys suffer from allergies, but kind of a new development in my life is that I apparently do. I didn't used to, but in the last few years, I've noticed specifically as the seasons change that I start to have allergies. And to me, there is nothing more uncomfortable than that feeling of nasal congestion. Like you just don't feel like yourself. And I was really looking for something that worked because so much of this stuff doesn't work. And I found Astapro to be really helpful. So I think it could be for you too, if you deal with this kind of stuff. So Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. And it starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24 hour steroid free allergy spray. And Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. By the way, that 30 minutes thing is real. And for me to have relief in 30 minutes is just a game changer. 
Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-Allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. So we start out with the conversation between Jonathan and Kim because... As we know, Kim has been having her birthdays at Tao for forever now. And Mike Senegard, who's the entertainment marketing director, he's a good family friend. They work together both business and pleasure. And so she was under the impression that she was going there for her 29th birthday. And she's sitting talking to Jonathan and he's saying that he spoke to Mike. And I guess Mike had had a conversation with Chris where basically Chris said, Kim isn't going. So this kind of sets us off for a whole miscommunication and just understanding the way that her birthday was going to go down. And just in general, like, I think it's so much more fun watching this episode, knowing that if you guys remember in the most recent season of Kardashians, when it was Kim's 40th birthday and Chris put together that giant experience, she had Mike there to recreate what Kim's Tao birthdays were like, because it was such a huge part of her, you know, young adulthood. I mean, even into adulthood, I think her last birthday was in 2014 there. She was turning 34 at the time, I believe. So like this went on for a very long time. It's just so crazy to me because sometimes we look at things that they've done in the past and are like, wow, they were in such a different place then than they are now. Or like, I could understand how they did it then, but you know, them currently would never do that. Whereas with Kim, I still do not understand how she ever enjoyed doing this. Like it just seems like This was never a part of her personality. And yet she did it every year. I guess the fact that she was working instead of just going to Tao made it a little bit different. Like it was an appearance and it was for her birthday. And it she technically was working, made it a little bit more on brand. But yeah, I can't picture Kim at a Tao ever, especially not up until age 34. Right. And it's the kind of thing where we know that she is not a big drinker at all. And I very much understand that. However, I also don't understand how this type of experience could be even remotely enjoyable unless you're drunk. It's not. And that's coming from someone who also like barely drinks. So I I would have to be absolutely wasted to enjoy this. Same. (laughs) Julie, I know I say it a lot. I think that factually is our worst nightmare. No, it is. No, (laughs) sorry. No, I'm all for whoever wants to go there. Like if that's your thing, I am so for it. I'm so happy for you. Have all of your birthdays at Tao. For me personally, I just cannot. No, no, no. The heels. I mean, we haven't worn heels since like what, 2008? I don't even, I can't. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually like getting anxious thinking about having heels on my body. The last time I actually remember it, the last time we wore heels was for that event or I wore heels, you weren't luckily. And I took them off and I was completely barefoot on the streets of the city, which I never do. Your your feet were real swollen that night. I was in suede blue pointy toe heels and I looked at you and I said, Julie, mark my words, never again. And I have stuck to that. Oh my God. I've just, I forgot your feet really blew up. No, it was a disaster. Oh my God. That's why we can never leave the house. No, we can't. No, no, no. Don't invite me anywhere unless I can wear Air Force Ones to it. Yeah. (laughs) That is the the motto of our life. Anyway, we digress. So Kim now- I don't do anything to not talk about Scott in this episode. I know. Ask me any question. Like I will answer any of your questions. This is your one time to ask me anything you want. We could talk about anything else. That's how badly I do not want to talk about this episode. Oh my God. We can go into like your deepest fears. Sure. (laughs) Being buried alive if you're curious. (laughs) 
Okay, so Kim is at Chris's now, and she basically confronts her of like, why did you tell Mike that I'm not doing it at Tao? And they this whole back and forth where Chris is saying, Kim, you work 364 days a year. You got to take this one off. And Kim's whole thing is like, one, I don't want to do that. But second of all, I gave him my word. And that is a theme that has played itself out throughout the entirety of Kardashians with both Chris and Kim. So it's interesting that Chris wasn't totally on board. We're like, they don't care what comes up. If they give somebody their word in the business sense, they are going to stick to it. Especially Kim. Right. Again, as you all know, that is literally probably the core of the backdrop between her and Courtney's fight or when Kylie is sick and can't do the fashion show in Paris. Like These are all of the moments where you see it really come out of Kim and Chris of like, it's not that we don't want to be sympathetic to your problems. However, the loyalty and the reliability comes first. That was probably so key in getting them to the next level from just being reality stars to whoever they were, because obviously there's always that reputation with people, especially reality stars or people like the Kardashians that you would just assume that they were somewhat difficult to work with, especially people who had a quick rise to fame. And I am sure the fact that they were always amazing and professional and so easy to work with catapulted them to another level because it made people want to work with them. Totally. We have spoken to so many people, like I just feel like, you know, off air, off record, that have said only the kindest things about them in a professional setting. And then think about how many stories we have heard about people that I would consider like B slash C listers absolutely being impossible. Right. So next scene, Scott and Courtney are grocery shopping. And the real reason for the scene was just to illustrate the change that Courtney sees in him because, you know, he's picking out healthy foods and he's saying that he's doing it for her and because she's pregnant, da da da. But I need to read you guys exactly what she said in her confessional because the contrast from this to about 20 minutes later is absolutely unbelievable. No? Uh, yes. She says, I've definitely seen a huge change in Scott. Somewhere along the line, something just clicked in his head, and he's been really excited to be a father. Scott's been working for the company that makes Quick Trim, and he's been getting up every day, going to work, getting up early. I just see such a change in him. He makes me feel like I have a real partner in life. He's definitely on the right track. (laughs) Narrator. (laughs) He has never been on less of the right track, ever. But then sometimes he is. Like, it's so sad. Also, I completely forgot that he was working with Quick Trim. Me too. Completely forgot. That was a lost plot. That was the interesting point of this plot that I had completely forgotten about, where it wasn't just like he was a mess in Vegas to the family. His boss was there, and that was a huge element of this whole episode. Right. And on top of it just being his boss, his boss for a job that Chris helped him get, which I feel like in this family, specifically with Chris, if you are in her inner circle, she's willing to put it all out on the line for you. She will vouch for you. She will advocate for you. However, in return, you owe it to her that you will handle yourself in a professional, respectful way. And so it wasn't just like she was embarrassed of his presence. It was like, okay, now you're making me look bad because I put myself on the line to get you this position. Right. That is the, I imagine that if you are Chris Jenner, that is the ultimate act of betrayal. I imagine that for anybody though. I mean, specifically Chris, of course, and especially with Scott, who she was already so skeptical of and had so many things to say about him and his behavior and his work ethic. But for anybody, if somebody sticks their neck out for you and you embarrass them in such a way and you put them in a position where they regret sticking their neck out for you, like that is the worst thing you can do. Oh, of course. It's across the board. I guess just with her, the reason it's, you know, even at a higher level is because it's then directly impacting her income, really, because these are all people that 
she also has simultaneous business deals with or could have potential business deals with. So it's not just like she's putting in a good word for something that doesn't impact her. It's like at a certain point, your bad behavior may be impacting the amount of money that me and my family can make. And once you fuck with our funds, then you're dead to me. Right. So next scene, they're at Chris's house and there's this funny moment where Rob picks up the quick trim bottle and he's like, why does it have boobs on it? And Chris is saying that it's modeled after Kim's body, which to me, I was thinking, did the quick trim bottle inspire Kim's fragrance? I think that, I think that when you have Kim's body, you want to put it on as many products as you can. It's just so crazy to me that they were this deeply involved in quick trim just ever because we know how toxic that is, but also at the same time as Carl's Jr. And that's exactly what Kim was saying when she was on the podcast with Kristen Bell. Right. Exactly. Of like, we had absolutely no cohesion and we just ran with it. And she's right. It just somehow worked for them and they were never even, I mean, they were called out for it, but it was never to the point where it impacted them negatively because brands still wanted to work with them. And eventually they found their footing. But for a while there, it was just straight hypocrisy. Right. And it's funny because obviously they've been called out a lot for the quick trim or the fit tee, all of those things. I don't specifically remember them being called out for the hypocrisy of it. I don't remember anybody ever saying like, you're doing things that are just straight up conflicting and make no sense to do at the same time. I think that was so much of their own thing looking back on it, but people were really more focused on the element of like, why are you doing this specific weight loss ad in the first place? Yeah. And listen, at the time they were not getting flack for quick trim. It was only recently once, you know, I think as the public, we started to look at diet culture a little bit more critically and understand the flaws here and what's the negative impact that it's having specifically on young people. So yeah, now if they're going to do a fit tea thing, they're going to be ripped to shreds, rightfully so. Whereas back in the day, quick trim was not looked down upon. Right. It really wasn't. I mean, and that's just, that has nothing to do with the Kardashians. That's just, you know, us as a society and the way that we view weight loss and products and specifically inauthentic claims. Exactly. Yes. Anyway, so we flash back here to Chris on the phone with her business partner, you know, pitching Scott. And she says to Scott now, you know, thank God you finally have a real job. So you don't just keep doing whatever it is you were doing. And Courtney tries to kind of steer the conversation away. She doesn't want to dwell on the past. And Chris then says, which this quote now carries such a different weight, but I'm going to read it verbatim. Listen, Lamar's set for life. He's got his thing. He's talented. He's got his basketball. And then there's Reggie, who's got his whole football career, and he's young and still on top of his game. And by the way, Robert is developing a whole skincare line. They're taken care of. I mean, they're set. Here's my thing with Chris in this episode. Obviously, Scott's actions are his actions. Like, There's no excuse for the way he acted, and it's not Chris's fault that he ended up or put himself in the position that he did or that he had the attitude that he did or the rudeness, all of those things all on Scott. But the way that Chris treated Scott, yeah, when Scott says it's natural that I was going to hit a breaking point, makes sense. And one of the things that drives me crazy in this episode that Chris does a lot, especially when it comes to comparing Scott and Rob, is that she can be so critical of Scott, like cannot give him a break. Nothing he does is right. But then with Rob, it's everyone else's fault. Oh, the favoritism just jumps out. But in general, I hate the comparison. Like she could be making the exact same argument about Scott and him being unfit to be Courtney's serious boyfriend. And right now he's not exhibiting signs of being, you know, a stand-up father without 
ever bringing in Lamar or Reggie. She does not need to do that because then it becomes unfair. Right. It does. I, I think it was entirely unfair, especially when you're sitting at the point where he is, has a job. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's getting himself on the right path. That's when you step in and say, like, I'm so proud of you. Like, this is what you're doing and you are earning my respect. Like, that's when the positive reinforcement needs to come in. Because as we were saying, and I think we were talking about this a couple of episodes ago, we're like, there are certain people where the more you hound them and the more you're on top of them, they're so driven to prove you wrong and they'll do exactly the right thing because they just want to say, like, you thought I couldn't do it and I proved you wrong and I didn't look at me now. Like, clearly Scott is not somebody that thrives off being told he can't do something. Like, he's somebody that needs that positive reinforcement to be able to say, like, okay, somebody's proud of me and somebody's watching me and I want to continue that feeling. Not everybody operates in the way where they go in the opposite direction. Sometimes when somebody's telling you that you can't do anything right, you just adopt that personality and you adopt that mentality of like, you know what, fine. You think I can't do anything right? I can't do anything right. And you just give up. And obviously, Chris just kept pushing Scott farther and farther from what her actual goal was. Completely. And you have to know your audience. And clearly we know, you know, 20 seasons later that she learned that. She obviously learned that a softer approach with Scott was definitely the move. And that was the only way that anything was going to change. But this style, I don't even want to call it tough love because it wasn't tough love to me. It was just mean. And it, I understood her frustration, but it wasn't being communicated in an effective way. And you're so right. It is clearly not a style that he's receptive to. Right. And of course, Scott is an adult. Like he should be doing things not because his mother-in-law wants him to do it, but because he has that internal drive and he's adult. But clearly at this case, that's just not what's happening. So for Chris to be pushing him farther and farther away from a, like a good place is just so counterproductive, even though he should be able to do that on his own. He's just not at that place here. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for like meeting somebody where they are without babying them. And so, like I said, I got her frustration, especially later on in the episode. Forget about it. I'm just talking about in this current scene, this is pre-Vegas, right? It's like, okay. Yeah. It's like, well, take us like, as Caitlin said, you know, are you going to go easy on him for a second? Take a step back and just let's see how he performs because most likely he's going to dig his own grave. You don't need to dig it for him. Right. When he, when he does something wrong, that's when you can lean in. But when somebody's doing something right, and also I have to say, like, obviously we were just saying Scott's an adult. He should be able to do things himself. I don't think you're ever too old to be told you're doing a good job at something. Ever. That is, I'm so glad you just said that. That's one of my biggest life mottos. I think that positive affirmation, even if it's not somebody's you know, necessarily overwhelming love language. I think it is such a helpful and a beautiful thing to, to give someone like nobody's ever going to be upset to hear, you know what? I think you did that really well. Right. The one thing though, that I don't want to say defends Chris, but where you really understood where she was coming from is that it wasn't like she was going after Scott just to go after him. The entire reason she was feeling this way was motivated by her love and care for Courtney. And so in, you know, once it's framed in that way, you understand it a little bit more. Oh, of course. I understand the motivation, like completely. I understand what she was trying to accomplish. It was more of the fact that if she was actually trying to accomplish what she had sent out to do, the way she was doing it was pushing him actually in the opposite direction. Totally. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. 
And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So next scene, they arrive in Vegas and they're at this 8,000 square foot penthouse at the Venetian. And again, this is one of those examples where they are not jaded. You know, Kim cannot believe it. She thinks it's so beautiful. She's saying, this is why we work as hard as we do. And like, I want that because the reaction they had to this suite, I would say exceeded the reaction they had to the fucking gorgeous house in Tahoe. Totally. Yes. Right? I love these early seasons when they're so not jaded. Like they are so beyond not jaded that they can't believe they're having a penthouse. Obviously, at this point, any penthouse they're going to walk into is just going to be an experience they've already had. Even the nicest one in the world is still going to be something that they have a wealth of experience having dealt with. And at this point, they're just in Vegas. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just so nice and refreshing to watch them walk in and be like, oh my God, there's a movie theater in this room. Like, I could watch them do that a million times over. I know. And it's it's always funny when we're watching these episodes on a day where one of them is posting something on their story that directly highlights the contrast. And I say that to say that yesterday, Kim was posting the Skims office where the entire thing was customer Goins. And it's just like, if you then in this penthouse in the Venetian could see yourself in a few years, you will be blown away. I mean, if Kim's sitting in her apartment still at this point in the show, could see the house she was going to live in, the literal compound, married to Kanye, divorced from Kanye, she would not believe it. She wouldn't. And that's what's so magical about this entire show is that you really feel like you have just grown with them in a way that you do not grow with your average A-list celebrity. Totally. So they're all getting there, you know, getting ready. And this is when Rob and Scott just start the bender. Like they are already getting drunk. They're downstairs. They're drinking beer. They're doing shots. And it's already heading in a bad way. Rob brings up Chris, which you can see Scott's reaction to even the mention of Chris is just one of pure distaste and kind of almost anger and disgust. But one small thing I want to mention, obviously we are not at the waiter scene yet. I did not like the way that he was interacting with the waitresses either. No, he wasn't uh, at all. I mean, listen, everything started to go downhill from the point where Rob mentioned Chris because it turned just being drunk into being like an angry, irresponsible drunk and the whole mood shifted. And it's already starting off at a point where you're like, if he has another drink, it's just all downhill and he never stopped. He never stopped. And 
Oh my God. I, I actually hate this next scene so much. I forgot how much I hated it. Fuck. Okay. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, it's just, let's just do it. Let's just get this episode over with. I cannot even believe the reaction I'm having to this episode. I know. I know. It was visceral. Okay. So next scene is Kim, Chris, Courtney, and Jonathan. And they have hair and makeup in an hour. Kim wants to go shopping. They go on this fun little shopping spree. Brittany Gastineau is there as well. There's just one moment I want to bring up. I think when they're in Jimmy Choo and Chris takes out this bag, she's like, Kim, look at this bag for if you had a little girl. This is for Surrey Cruz. And it was just so adorable because obviously now I'm thinking of Chicago and North. Oh, Surrey Cruz, it's so funny, was like the standard to which all celebrity babies were held for a while too. Yeah. And anytime they make a reference like that, it just kind of brings you back to the point in time that they were at because you're right. There were a few years there where Surrey Cruz was the absolute blueprint. When I think of Surrey Cruz, I think of Burberry. Same. Such a Burberry kid. Yeah, she really was. One other thing here before we get back into Scott, when Chloe calls Chris to say that, you know, she's going to be coming late because Lamar has bruised shins, the way that she speaks to Chris on the phone, it's just so different than the current Chloe. And I I know it's just their style. I'm not even really criticizing her because I get it. This is their family dynamic, but it's so hard to watch. Like she was just so abrasive. Very. It really, it's so strange. She really, really has evolved. I know in so many ways we talk about how it's almost sad that she's lost a little bit of a sense of herself or maybe some of that confidence. But in terms of the way that she softened with talking to Chris, it seems to be very, very real. Well, that was also one of the reasons we loved her with Lamar so much is because that soft side of her came out for the first time. That baby voice she used with Lamar and calling him Lammy, like I know we always talk about that as like a very cute nostalgic thing, but that was really the first time that you saw this very soft maternal side of Chloe. And it was such a contrast, especially to the way she treated Chris. So that was one of the huge components of the Lamar relationship that I think actually changed Chloe forever. Oh, I think so too. And listen, do we ever see her going back to hints of her quote old self? Yeah. But in general, I would say she's more overwhelmingly soft in terms of the way that we watch her interact. Totally. Okay. This is to me the worst scene of the episode. I think this is worse than the waiter. Oh, I, I, I don't know. So it's Scott, Rob and JJ. They're still all completely drunk. Rob decides to go downstairs to the lobby to meet this woman, Paula, that he knows he refers to her as kind of like a female acquaintance. They go upstairs to her room to hang out and Scott and JJ come in. And honestly, if you didn't watch this episode, nothing I'm going to say is going to do it justice. However, Scott was being the most repulsive, invasive, misogynistic, borderline verbally abusive version of himself that I have maybe ever seen talking to this woman in such a demeaning fashion, calling her a hooker, direct quote from him, asking her how much she charges, you know, telling her to take her shirt off and just start blowing Rob, saying that he's there to solely watch them fuck. It was like so not funny and so repulsive. And I felt so bad for her because she just walked into the situation and there was nothing that she could do to kind of get herself out of that discomfort. And it it was really, I'm, I'm not kidding, it was really hard to watch. You're right. It was worse than the waiter scene, I think. It was impossible to watch and it was so disgusting. He literally is like, I mean, hey, you got nice boots. Let's see what they look like over Rob's shoulders. I came here to watch you guys have sex. Are you gonna? Are you fucking kidding me? I can't. The way that he was objectifying this woman, but like to her, 
I, I have no, I, I, the amount of things running through my mind right now, there's no way I'm going to sound eloquent because I just got mad again. It's impossible to watch this scene and not get mad. He was disgusting. He was, he like, as much as Scott crosses that line in terms of saying things that are inappropriate or saying things that he probably shouldn't say and making jokes that just don't need to be made in inappropriate moments, none of that, none of that compared to what this was. This was a different version of Scott than we'd ever seen. It was like cute. And I think one of them say it at one point where they're like, Scott literally seemed like he was possessed. Right. Which thank God they felt that way. You know, thank God they didn't feel like this was him, but just a more magnified version of him. Like, thank God it was so out of character. However, I still stand by this. We were talking about this on Houses of New York with Leah. Like, I understand that certain circumstances and alcohol and whatever it is can make you act in a certain way. However, I am a believer that unless it exists within you, it doesn't come out. And so on some level, this had to exist in him. Like think about people that you know, men that you know, they could be as absolutely drunk as Scott. These words would never come out of their mouth because it is just not somewhere inside of them. Whereas this level of, I'm going to call it misogyny and objectification and power dynamic was somewhere inside of him. No, you're totally right. I so agree. It was rough. I mean, I almost, if you guys didn't watch this episode and you're just like reliving it through us, go back and watch this one scene so you can understand the extent of what we're talking about. It was painful. And you know what's interesting is that obviously we get to the point in the episode where Courtney starts to see his behavior and the aftermath of that and the aftermath of the waiter situation. But This isn't something that Courtney would have known about until months and months after it happened. Courtney wouldn't have known about this until after Mason was already born. This scene where Scott is objectifying this woman to such an extent that it is like bordering on harassment, if not complete and total harassment. Like, I have to wonder what it was like for Courtney to have forgiven Scott for the way he acted in Vegas, only to find out that this then happened as well. That's a really good point that I hadn't even considered. And by the way, not just Courtney, also Chris and also Kim and actually everybody there other than Rob and JJ. Because it's not like Rob and JJ are going to Chris and Kim and Courtney and saying, you know, you think this is bad. You have no idea what just went down in the room. So yeah, that's a really, really good point. I mean, personally for me, if I were her and I had to watch both of those things back, a hundred percent what happened with that in that room would be worse. Same. I so agree. I mean, from here on out, it is just a shit show. Like it just progressively gets worse and worse. I'm looking at this outline and this is the scene where they obviously go back to the room. They are so drunk. Keep in mind, like they are there for work. Aside from the meeting that they have with the guy from GNC, it's also, you know, Kim's appearance at Tao and they're coming as her guests. Like she didn't have to bring them. But when Chris walks in and sees, you know, Rob and Scott physically fighting, Scott draws blood from Rob. He is completely inconsolable. He, you can't even try to attempt to control him. And not only do they have this appearance, but also the business partner is coming up to the room any minute. Like Chris's anger was so deeply justified in this moment. Right. Oh, completely. I mean, if I was Chris, I would have absolutely lost it. The way they were acting was just another level. And Chris makes this point to say to Rob, like, you give in to Scott so much, like you change your personality. And this is what I was talking about before. Like you change your personality based on who you're with. And you think these things are funny and they're not because Rob is also acting like it's not just Scott was alone here. Scott was obviously far worse, 
But when Rob is fighting him and encouraging him and escalating the situation, like Rob has a piece of this as well. And Chris is basically saying to him, you know, like, this isn't you. My son doesn't act like this. My son isn't drunk like this. And this is the point in the episode with Chris, where even though she was mad at Rob, the deflection of the blame is so interesting and explains so much about the progression of Rob as well. So much. And as you were talking, I was also thinking, I wonder if like the contrast between how bad of an influence Scott was and how good of an influence Lamar was made Chris love Lamar even more. Right. Until Lamar was no longer a good influence. Right. But I'm saying for all those years when he really was a big brother to Rob and he was such a source of, you know, I don't want to say a father figure, but just a really healthy, positive male influence in his life. And he was somebody of stability and somebody that, you know, had a good head on his shoulders and obviously had to be so diligent because of his career, both physically and mentally. Like those were all, I'm sure, qualities about him that Chris really welcomed him spending so much time with Rob. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. This was so rough. I mean, you guys know they go for the red carpet, they go to dinner. Scott's like going to sleep it off. He's going to shower. They think they're getting away with him not coming to the dinner. And then he comes in and it just escalates from here because Chris is the one that basically says to the waiter, you know, you got to cut him off. Like this is unacceptable. And when the waiter follows Chris's desire, which is like the most fair desire ever, this is when Scott absolutely loses it, gets up, gets in the waiter's face. And this is the moment where he takes the hundred dollar bill and he shoves it in his throat. And when I tell you, I literally turned my body away from the computer when I watched this. I I do not know how they watched this go down and didn't absolutely deck him. I don't know either. I really don't. It was impossible to watch. Also, it's really interesting because it's not until after that Chris brings this up when she gets back home where she says, I think Scott has a drinking problem. Like this was the first example, I think, that we really saw of like that being the case where it's like, Again, this is on Scott. The way he acted was disgusting, and most people do not act like this at all. But the anger that he felt and the reaction to being cut off, like I think that was the first time we really saw that addiction take over his body. And his oh, body. yeah, completely. And then also, like Chris was one of his triggers. Well, Chris makes the really good point of saying, like, what's really scary about the situation is that Scott is taking it on, out on the waiter, but who he's really mad at and who he really wants to act like this towards is me. Right. And she's completely accurate. And by the way, you know, not for nothing. And I understand that Courtney was like relatively uninvolved here. She's pregnant. I didn't expect her to get involved here at all. Like, I understand that Chris had frustration for her. However, like, what was she going to do? This guy was acting like a maniac and she's, you know, eight months pregnant. But I, if I'm Chris, I don't think that I want Scott that drunk in a room with my eight month pregnant daughter. Not that he would do anything to her intentionally, but he was clearly not aware of his body. He was clearly not aware of like the weight of his actions. And I don't know. I, I, it made me a little bit nervous if I'm being totally honest, not to accuse him of doing something that he wouldn't do. I'd never would think that he would hurt Courtney, obviously intentionally. However, it was definitely a little bit too rambunctious for my liking to be in that close proximity to somebody that pregnant. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, listen, he didn't, he had control over his actions. Like he, he was acting in a way where it's not like, again, they described him as being possessed, but that's not actually the case. Like he was still him, but 
he was drunk and aggressive to the point where, no, I don't think that Courtney should have been in a room with him or Courtney should have been trying to defuse that situation in any shape or form for her own safety. I could not help but wonder how this would have gone down if Chloe was there, because obviously we see Kim goes out and talks to him. Courtney's obviously not going to do it. Chris clearly would never get through to him. Rob is not the one for the job. And so Kim goes out, even though it's her event. Kim was pretty calm with him, as she would have been. I think Chloe would have absolutely lost it in him. Like, I think Chloe may have put her hands on him. And I just would have loved to see how that would have gone down. Not that I wanted to see her beat him up, obviously. But I'm saying I would have loved to witness that confrontation because it potentially would have been more powerful than the Kim one. Scott was pretty lucky that Chloe's license had expired and she couldn't get on a plane. Oh, yeah. I'm sure for him, he's thinking like, that's Bashert. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. And going back to the Rob comparison from before, one thing that I wanted to mention is when Rob says in his confessional, you know, seeing Scott do that to the waiter sobered me up really fast. And it was kind of in that moment where it's like, yeah, we're the same, but we're different. Like I'm down to get drunk. I'm down to go on a bender, but you just took it to an extent that no matter how drunk I get, that would never be me. Right. Exactly. Yes. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Anyway, I mean, Kim has to do this appearance. They're still in Vegas. Chris jets out. She's like, I am done with this. She gets back to the Calabasas house at four in the morning and she just did not want to spend another second with Scott. And you see when she is sitting down telling Caitlin, this was not somebody that was just like recapping the night. This was like a deeply concerned mother about her eight month pregnant daughter and what they're going to do about like the cancer in her mind, the cancer of a human being that is Scott Disick. Totally. And again, also a situation where I would have loved to see what would have happened if Caitlin was there as well. Well, Caitlin says, thank God I wasn't. She's like, I would have decked him. Yeah. And she would have. And by the way, if it was anything like the way she performed in that boxing match a few weeks ago, Scott would have been not in a good situation. Out like a light. And those are the types of things where like, one, I just want to say, I actually believe that that's what would have happened. Like, I think that Caitlin would have punched Scott and they would have eventually recovered. But when that happens within a family, it's hard to recover from. Like, even when you take Kim and Courtney, I know their physical fight wasn't as intense. When it gets physical, it just changes, like, everything. It, it just changes the entire, like, meat of the fight. And so I wonder how that would have also impacted the trajectory. Yeah, I, I would imagine so as well. Anyway, so they're back in LA now, and they're all kind of just recapping the night, and, like, Courtney is mortified. She literally says to Kim, mom will never speak to him again. I will never talk to him again. He needs to move to New York and just leave me the fuck alone. And then you flash to Rob and Scott. They're still in Vegas. And Rob's kind of telling 
Scott about what happened last night. And you see, he has a little bit of a memory, but he doesn't understand the extent of it. And like, I still don't think in this moment he's fully grasping it. No. And this is the thing that I was actually like, not most annoyed at Scott about, but really upset about in this episode where it's like, it's obviously one thing to act like just the worst human being possible alive when you're drunk. When you find out the next morning when you're sober what you did and your reaction isn't one of just 100% complete embarrassment and like guilt, like Scott's kind of laughing as Rob is telling him. That's when it's like, okay, you're drunk is one thing to be sober and not have that instant moment of regret says a lot about you too. Exactly. The way that you react to a situation oftentimes says a lot more about you than what actually goes down. And I, you know, I was watching and I was kind of for a second, like giving him the benefit of the doubt of he was so deeply mortified that this was just his method of deflection. However, the guilt slash the embarrassment was not visible enough for my liking. No. This is when Rob calls Courtney and it's on speakerphone and she's basically saying, I'm done with it. I'm over the kid shit. I don't give a fuck as I, and I quote, if he wants to fuck whores, do whatever, but he's not going to be living in my house. He can move right back to New York and do whatever the fuck he wants. And I could care less. And Scott overhears that. Yeah. Well, you know, Rob's Rob has this position of like, you know, I know what Scott did was wrong, but I really want to help him out. So like he calls Courtney with Rob's with Scott sitting there and basically says to Courtney that Scott's in the shower and can't hear. And, and Scott hears all of this. And instead of like, having again this moment of panic of like what did I do Scott has this moment of confusion of like how is she even going to say that to me the level of entitlement and the lack of accountability is alarming and that's exactly what happens in this episode and the next episode where it's like it wasn't enough for Scott to just hear about his actions it's like in order for him to truly get the message he has to have everything taken away from him and that was the pattern with him and Courtney that made the relationship so toxic. It's like he would do something so wrong. And instead of just owning up to it right away or like trying to figure it out, he wouldn't get the message until Courtney was like, no, you can't come back to the house. Then he would get the message. Then he would apologize. And then that same toxic cycle would start all over again. Right. And it's like, yeah, Courtney has been criticized in the past for going a little bit overboard. And listen, we have participated in that criticism at times in more recent years. However, you understand why she got to the point that she got to, because it was only when she really delivered on her potential threats that anything changed. And like, that's no way to live. I can understand how frustrating that must've been for her. Like this is the pattern that they unfortunately got themselves into. Right. And listen, Scott is a different person now. Like when you watch this version of Scott, this was obviously who he was at the time. Scott watching this back, I don't think he'd be able to sit through it. Like, I think that he is such a different person and so deeply disconnected from that version of himself that I think the level of embarrassment that he would feel now would be so much greater than what he felt at the time. You know how we were saying a few weeks ago that there's no way that Chloe could watch the episode where she's talking to Chris in the way that she is? That's like this. Obviously, a million times worse. I do not think that Scott could sit through having to watch this. No, especially because that's a huge part of Scott's recovery in terms of addiction was being able to like accept the things that he did and understand them and not dwell on them, be able to move forward in a way that's productive. And I think for him to have to sit back and not just have the knowledge that he acted in a certain way, but actually watch that version of himself 
would be entirely overwhelming for him. I think so too. And it's so rare. That's the other thing we always talk about. Like there are a lot of people that have done stuff this bad. However, they don't actually have it documented and it's never going to be as bad in your mind as it is when you actually see the film of this. Like you as a human being try to rationalize your behavior and downplay it. When you have film of shoving the money in the waiter's mouth and watching everybody's horrified reactions and then watching their accounts of it in their own confessional, like that is literally the worst thing you have to experience as somebody who did this action. Oh, totally. You know what else is so interesting going back is that like bringing up a completely different point is Scott's relationship with Chris is so interesting at this point as well, because obviously he feels such this deep resentment towards her and everything she says to him kind of sets him over the edge, but he did never lose that part of him that still craved her approval. Like it's a very like toxic parental relationship that they had, especially in the beginning where like, even though he was so upset and he couldn't do anything right. And he pretended like, you know what, fuck this. I'm angry and I don't care. He still craved that approval so much to the point where he even talks about it now as it being the greatest feeling of like her, of Courtney's entire family would say to her, we don't want you with Scott. You can't be with Scott. He's disgusting. You cannot be with him to the point where like his greatest satisfaction in life came from the point of when they were all saying like, why don't you get back together with Scott? Like we really want you to be with Scott. So it's so interesting to watch the way that that progressed and still sticks with him. Oh, for sure. And it's not just like the normal craving the approval of your potential future mother-in-law. It's like he really respected Chris as a person and as a businesswoman. Right. And no matter how much he tried to deny that fact, he was still constantly craving that like love and approval. I think that now it's that level of, you know, you're a businesswoman and you're somebody I highly, highly respect. And I want you to see me in that way as well. At this time, it was just like, I'm a little boy who can't do anything right. And I need my mom figure in this situation to just be proud of me for once. And I'm just going to act out. Like he did not understand, this is case in point, the lack of ability to understand the difference between positive and negative attention. Oh, completely. And, you know, I I do wonder like, what was his relationship like with his mom in, in the sense of like, how did she show her love for him? You know, and that's a that's a very real, real question. And the way that it differed also would probably be telling in terms of the way that his relationship progressed with Chris. I have to imagine that his relationship with his mom and the way his mom treated him was probably very similar to the way that Chris treated Rob. Oh, that's that would be my guess as well. You know, kind of not like he can do no wrong, but kind of like he can do no wrong. Right. Like there was always an excuse for the behavior. Like, you know, the behavior is wrong, but you'll find a way to pin it on everybody else instead of your own son. It's the exact point when Chris was like, my son doesn't do that. Like you're watching him do that. He does do that. He is doing it, whether or not the fact that you like it or you think it comes from an outside factor, that's one thing. But when you take that responsibility off by saying like, my son does not act that way when you're literally watching him act that way, it's a level of accountability that you've just completely removed from the situation that is very hard to then recover from. And I have to imagine that that is something that was detrimental to Scott as well from his own mother. Right. So to take that a step further, because I completely agree with you, like what you're speaking to is basically Chris's denial of what she's actively experiencing because like to really internalize that would be too painful. But what we don't see is we don't see a mother-in-law type figure having the reverse approach to Rob. 
but what we see is Scott, right? Like we haven't seen what Scott's relationship is like with his mom, but we can kind of infer. Whereas we know what Rob and Chris is like and how interesting would it be to then watch if he had a mother-in-law that was treating him similar to the way that Chris was treating Scott. Right. Okay. So I know we probably forgot this was happening. So we just went so deep, but Kim did have her Carl's Jr. commercial. She gets there on time. They walk in. She's just kind of exhausted. And she's having this moment of like, I can't do everything. And if I want to do everything well, I have to scale back a little. And, you know, you see Chris is very much in support of that. And just to watch her, I don't know, you know, there's like a, a little clip that plays of her doing all the different jobs that she's doing. And it was just exciting because these were the episodes where we're really, really seeing Kim start to cement herself in this role of not only businesswoman, but also like, I'm going to wear a lot of different hats and I am going to show that I can be versatile enough to be the representative for a lot of different things. And like, you know, basically she's dealing with something here that she had never dealt with before because before it was say yes to absolutely everything. And now it's the small hints of potentially saying no. And it was a hard pill for her to swallow, but she was starting to gently swallow it. And you know, what's funny about this too, is that she's having hints of that, but it's not like she's gotten to the point yet of like, I want to do things that make sense or I want to change the way I'm perceived by only doing certain ads and doing certain brand deals. She's only at the point where she's like, I'm going to burn out if I keep doing it this way. So it there's still that step from there that's like, okay, I have to prioritize myself a little and be able to say no to a couple of things in order to keep this up. But she hasn't quite gotten to the point where she's like, okay, I'm not doing ads for things that I don't believe in anymore. Or I can say no to something that is that I deem to be below me. Oh yeah. This was strictly a timing thing in terms of like her plate was too full because if there were more hours in the day, she would have never cut anything out. This was not a, an exercise in strategy, you know, or right. like, or like perceived self-worth kind of thing. Right. So we end with Courtney at the townhouse and Scott is calling and calling and he's showing up and she changed the locks and she basically gets on the phone with him and she's like, do whatever you want, but I am overhearing it. It's the same story and tell it to somebody who cares because I have to go on with my life, which obviously we see continued next episode, but like this was not a good situation here. No, not at all. Those to be continued letters on that screen were so eerie. I love a to be continued. I love it when it's deserving. Like recently Bravo's been doing it too much, but when it's not overused, it just hits. And there were so rarely to be continued in Kardashians and they save them for such big episodes that yeah, this one slapped. Yeah. When they use it sparingly, I can really get on board. Yeah. Anyway, holy shit. I can't believe we made it through that. I cannot believe we made it through it. I'm so glad that that is done. I was dreading this because of reliving it, but I actually found it really cathartic to be able to analyze. I agree. I do. (laughs) So happy we have each other for this rough time. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Okay, we love you guys so much. Isabel and I will see you tomorrow for Bravo and Julie and I will be back next week. Thank you. You're the best. We're so lucky. This is like a dream come true. We're just so lucky that we have you guys on this ride with us. We love you. Thank you. Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant 
And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.